0: From our soundstage and auditory office to your hearts and ears across the globe, the following has been crafted with care for your listening ears. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to the prolonged preseason of 54 Lights. My name is Kandwani Mwase, a proud Pan Africanist who's on a mission to share undertold stories that inform our collective soul. Stories about and from powerful people who make up the African diaspora. And while the lens of this seems relatively narrow, the true aperture is quite wide. For you see, this show is taken from an African perspective, an African lens, if you will. But it truly is for citizens of the world. From Africa, for all. No matter your age or orientation, there'll be something in this for you. Now today we're taking a time out to continue our focus on Freddy. Cyclone Freddy, that is. If you haven't heard, this record-breaking storm ravaged and continues to ravage the countries of Madagascar, Mozambique, and my native Malawi. And it will also continue to ravage the surrounding Southern African nations. The death toll currently sits at well over 500, but continues to climb. The financial toll, when measured in relatively cold economic terms, will be in the millions, no doubt. Now, the traumatic toll, that measure of pain beyond the physical, the emotional toll that it's taking on the peoples of those nations in southern Africa, that is truly unmatched and will be immeasurable. Being from Malawi, I've had an interesting few weeks dealing with this devastation. I heard about the cyclone and the carnage weeks before it actually hit mainstream media. And now, weeks after the drops, but only days into the damage, truly, I'm dealing with a rather distinct dilemma. But simply, I'm asking myself, what now? How do we keep the focus on a story that for far too few of us is actually going to remain a headline? I'll say that a different way because it it reads funny and it sounds funny, if you will. But for far too few of us, those people in Malawi, Madagascar, Mozambique, Zambia, Eswatini, and uh, parts of South Africa and Zimbabwe as well, for a cluster of those people, for that small corner of the world, relatively speaking, this will remain in their headlines. It will remain in their forefront. But for the rest of the world... It will dim and fade to black so how do we keep the lights on an important story an important humane story well for this show what i've chosen to do is to keep the light on this for a little bit longer uh last episode if you were paying attention uh last episode i spoke with uh, chawan Pande, who's a friend a friend of this show, family member as well, a friend of the family as well, sorry, um, about the trauma from the storm. She's been on our show a few times and uh, spoke to us really about how she's dealing and how the country is dealing from an emotional perspective, obviously from her viewpoint. She spoke to us directly from Blantyre, Malawi, by the way. Today, we go to ground again. Joining uh, Akila Sakrani as she gives us an account of the charitable and mobilization efforts that she's involved with, that are involving, that are evolving rather, in the warm part of Africa, as Malawi is known. Now, a note to all of our listeners: um, because of the specific circumstances of uh, this interview and uh, and what's going on in Malawi, Akila did not actually join me uh, live in studio. Instead, we organized ourselves so that she could share her important words and work with us all. I hope you find her uh, commitment to that as important and as as eye-opening as I did. So without further ramble, what follows is the output from that conversation. What follows is words directly from the relief effort. Happening in Malawi. Let's get started with an introduction for my next special guest, Akila Sakrani. So, Akila, can you please give us um, some background into who you are?
1: Hi, Kondwani. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. My name is Akila Okai. I'm the third generation born in Malawi. To an English mother and an Indian father. I lived in Malawi until the age of 16, then went on to boarding school and university in the UK. I'm a chartered surveyor by profession, and after graduating, came back to Malawi to get married.
0: Generally speaking, Akila, how does this storm, Cyclone Freddie, compare to other storms that have rolled through? the region, and Malawi specifically?
1: In recent years, uh, southern Malawi has been affected with increasing frequency by irregular weather systems coming across from Madagascar and Mozambique. Just last year, the area to the south of Blantyre, like Palombe, Sanje Chikwawa, which are all low-lying, flood-prone areas, were devastated by the effects of cyclones Anna and Idai. Parts of the road infrastructure were damaged, so delivering aid to the affected areas was difficult, and over 200,000 people are reported to have been affected by those specific weather systems. They lost their homes, all their possessions, livelihoods, and crops. The effects of Tropical Storm Freddy are far more widespread. And the devastation to homes and infrastructure has affected a much greater number of people. It has adversely impacted a third of Malawi's landmass. And initial reports indicate that over a hundred and fourteen thousand households have been displaced. This is over half a million people in a country with a population of eighteen million. There have been five hundred deaths and. Over 400 still missing. In Blantyre, the commercial capital, over 5% of the population has been affected. And it is the first time in living memory that Blantyre has had to deal with a natural disaster on this scale. The reason for the extent of the devastation is multi-pronged. Mostly climate change is the cause. We had had an unusually long, wet, rainy season this year before the storm hit. In addition, in Blantyre, for example, apart from the sheer volume of water causing riverbanks to break, the damage was caused by landslides on the hills surrounding the city. This is where most of the townships are, where the poorest live. Very few residents have access to water or clean running water or electricity. Building standards are not enforced in these areas. And there are literally no trees left on the surrounding hills. While on paper, all the policies to curb illegal felling of trees are in place, it appears the forestry department just don't have the manpower or the resources to enforce it. It's a catch-22 situation. People need the wood to cook food in order to survive. The trees counter against natural disasters such as this and in the long-term climate change. So until an affordable alternative is provided for cooking, any attempts to reforest these areas will be thwarted.
0: Akilah, please give myself and the audience a bit of a sense of what your charitable work is, and maybe more specifically, the organization that you're affiliated with that's doing the important work of helping in this disaster recovery.
1: Road to Relief is a registered Malawian charity founded in 2007 and is... Uh, run by a dedicated group of blantyre based women who raise funds for charitable causes to enhance the quality of life of the underprivileged and impoverished, irrespective of religion, gender, and political affiliation. We provide both long-term and short-term sustainable support to a variety of health and educational causes, food support, and emergency response. In the years that there isn't an emergency to deal with, we identify causes or projects that need our support and fundraise for those projects and provide what is needed.
0: Akila, when you are doing your work for Road to Relief, it is obviously really important the decisions that you're making, the decisions on the ground, the decisions to help people, the decisions to collaborate with other organizations perhaps that are doing similar work as yours as well as the critical decision to make sure that fundraising efforts and finances, money that is being donated to you, goes to the right place. Can you talk to us in broad terms about the decision-making process that you go through and your colleagues go through?
1: It's very difficult in emergency situations to choose who to help. And we liaise with the community on the ground to decide where the need is most, We have to reassess our strategy daily based on information from community leaders, government departments and other charities working in the affected areas. In the first couple of days of this tragedy, we realized that many of the displaced in camps had not eaten for two days. So we supplied 2,600 hot meals to two of the camps that had been set up in local primary schools. In the first week, one of the camps we visited had 54 pregnant women and 60 babies and toddlers packed in a single classroom, with poor ventilation, no space to lie down, and hard dirt floors. There was a midwife behind a piece of cloth in the corner examining the pregnant women, and all they had were literally the clothes on their back. This camp was one of the better organized ones with over 900 people living in the classrooms. There were 13 volunteers helping to run this camp, and these volunteers were just phenomenal. The person heading the team in the outdoor kitchen was a pastry chef at one of the House hotels, and he took some personal leave and cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner for over 2,000 people every day for a week. We obtained a wish list from the camp coordinator and purchased what they needed and delivered it to them. The items we supplied varied from infant formula and baby bottles to clothes, nappies, sanitary pads, soap, solar lamps, medications. We appeal for donations in kind in all our um, fundraising efforts. We, We know we take donations in kind, but for this particular one, the need for clothes, secondhand clothes, uh, utensils and baby items was so high. You know, communities across the country wanted to help. So the response we received was overwhelming. And we received thousands of items that we were able to deliver to the different camps. And we are still taking out with us to other distributions that we do. We have a 100% donation policy. We purchase what is needed and ensure as best as we can, having exercised due diligence, that all the distributions go to those they are intended for. We have a strict policy to only help areas that have not received any help at all and do not hand over cash, but instead purchase the items after having obtained several quotes. We consult with village chiefs, camp committees, to ensure that they have registers of each household that have been affected. We hand out tickets to each household. And then the next day we take the aid for the correct number of households and distribute it. In recent years, the, the Department of Disasters Management and our local councils, especially in flood prone areas, have a register of charities that have delivered aid how much they delivered and where, which has made it a lot easier to ensure that every donation that is given goes to where it is needed the most. We often collaborate with other charities, uh, local charities, um, to get help to as many people as possible. Uh, the large organizations have their own protocols and policies in these situations. So we don't we don't really have much to do with the larger organizations.
0: Can you frame a little bit more uh, the context within which uh, Malawi is existing under this devastation? What people might not know about Malawi that is um, affecting and impacting um, not only your efforts to help rebuild, repair, and reestablish uh, the peoples of Malawi, but just What is the situational context that that maybe people don't actually see all the time?
1: Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world. Its economy is already on its knees due to a lack of foreign exchange and the rise in commodity prices. It's an agriculturally based economy. So this natural disaster will have repercussions for years to come. Food security in the coming months will be a priority not only for the displaced persons, but also the subsistence farmers who have lost their maize crop due to these floods. These crops would have provided their families with enough maize for a year. Another big worry is that Malawi has had its deadliest cholera outbreak in history, which started in 2022, and there is a great fear that waterborne diseases like cholera will spread, especially in overcrowded camps with inadequate sanitation. There are over 500 camps set up over 18 districts. Out of these, 264 of them are in local schools, and the schools have been closed until April, so the government have time to relocate the camps. The displaced in these camps have lost everything. They've got nothing to go back to and are not likely to leave the camps willingly in the coming months. So ultimately, the road to rebuild these displaced communities is a long one and their basic needs will need to be met.
0: Akila, in these times of tragedy, you know, across the world, and unfortunately, there are so many of these. Can you tell us about the power of the human spirit? I'm, I'm sort of smiling as I ask that question because it is so sad and heartbreaking to hear all these stories but there's a flip side of this and the flip side of this is people rallying and coming together in community both in malawi across the um, southern african countries um, and across the world frankly so can you talk to us about how you've seen the rise of that through this devastating uh cyclone and um maybe talk to us a little bit about hope and the power of the human spirit.
1: One of the most heartening things to come out of this tragedy was to see the communities across Blantyre and Malawi come together to provide what was needed to those affected as quickly as possible. We didn't wait for government to get involved. We didn't wait for aid agencies to get involved. We were on the ground providing what we could to those most in need. The community spirit that that has created is unprecedented for us. For example, as a result of our social media post about the pregnant women in this one camp, a group of doctors got together, a team of doctors, gynecologists, obstetricians, uh, nurses, medical assistants, and, took their equipment to these camps to monitor and check all these pregnant women that were in them. Roach Relief has managed to raise over $132,000 Canadian dollars to help those in need as a result of this disaster. And that is unprecedented for us, a group of volunteer women trying to do our bit. And this is really only because of Our friends, families, well-wishers across the world who have donated funds and those locally who have donated funds and donations in kind. And for that, we are eternally grateful. And so are those who have received these donations.
0: Before I bring this episode to a close, I wanted to mention a few things about my guests and about the climate within which they are operating and the climate within which I am operating, to be frank. Um, First of all, a huge thank you to the people in Malawi who are working on the ground tirelessly day and night to make things better, especially in the wake of Cyclone Freddy. Of course, you just heard the voice of Akilah Sakrani, who is working with Road to Relief, which is based in Malawi, doing some amazing and incredible things to help those who need it most uh, underline that those who need it most and doing it with intention, doing it with vigor, doing it with energy and doing it with heart. So thank you, Akila, for all the work that you do and for joining us on this show as well. Um, I do want to take a step back as well and look to my previous episode, the one that preceded this one, which was, um, uh, where I was joined by, um, Chama Mpande, who works tirelessly in the area of mental health. Chawa is a mental health advocate, and she's been doing that work for quite a while, alongside with her marketing um, exploits as well. But as a mental health um, um, advocate, it is really, really important that um, she be heard, supported, um, and encouraged in the work that she's doing, again, in the wake of Cyclone Freddy. Um, It should be noted that Chawa's husband, Manote Mpande, also works tirelessly to uplift uh people in um and people and the country of malawi as part of the leaders of an organization called moody river which is based in malawi and is focused on clearing up the waterways in that and in that country something which is obviously much more important uh, given the cyclone and uh, of course given the uh, cholera outbreak that has been um, prevalent in malawi in recent uh, days months and years it should be should be noted that all of these individuals are mobilizing their efforts right now, as am I, in response to a crisis. But outside of that crisis and beyond beyond the drops of cyclone Freddy, it should be noted that uh, the people of Malawi are mighty and uh, magnificent, working in uh, areas of the arts, working in the areas of tourism, working in the areas of entrepreneurship, working in the areas of tourism, and just doing incredible work. And you will hear from these amazing Malawians in the coming months. What is of very personal matter to me, which of a very personal matter to me, is that uh, the continent of Africa, and especially the smaller and more prone countries in Africa do not get painted with this brush of helplessness. Remember that the past two episodes have featured people who are on the ground in Malawi working with other Malawians and not necessarily working with outside organizations to help the underserved. And it is really, really important that you, the listener, and the people that are listening understand that this is a story and this is a reality that needs to be told, is that Malawians are not helpless. They have, in this particular case, helped themselves. And in other cases, when it is not about crisis management, when it is about arts, when it is about fashion, when it is about cooking, when it is about beauty and things to be celebrated, all of these people that I've spoken to, as well as other people within the warm heart of Africa, are very much active, alive and thriving. With that said, it is the wake. We are in the wake of a crisis. And so it is important that if you have the ability to donate, that you do donate go to your local charities, that's Plan Canada, Doctors Without Borders, UNICEF Malawi, and donate on a regular basis. I would encourage people to do this on a regular basis to disaster relief because we don't know where disaster will strike, and it has struck Malawi, but it uh, in years past has struck different parts of the world. And so if you are prone to, um, to give, if you have the ability to give, I would encourage you not to give only for one disaster, but to, to to support disaster relief in general. If you are interested in supporting my sisters on the ground who are doing some amazing work, uh, I'm talking about Road to Relief and Akilah Sakrani, I would encourage you to go to um, Facebook. I would encourage you to go to GoFundMe and look for uh, Road to Relief, Malawi, obviously, and you will, in fact, find places to give directly to those charities, which I uh, I urge you to consider because they are credible, they are doing the work, they keep you updated as to where their work is going, and they are not uh, scam artists, um, which I would also caution you keep an eye out for if you are thinking of giving. There's a lot been said there, but um, this episode has got to come to a close, and I thank you for listening to it. I typically say, so there you have it, Um, The conversation continues, and I, um, I suppose in this particular case, I will say, so there you have it. The conversation, the contribution, the culture, and of course, the work continues. Part of our show was recorded and produced at the Soundstage and Auditory Office of 54 Lights. Today's episode, as was noted, was partially recorded from Blantyre, Malawi. And while all of our stages are relatively small, our lights together shine brightly. This season, more than most, has been produced in partnership with some incredible people and incredible organizations, ones that I'll avoid rattling off anonymously, but will find the time to thank personally, after each and every play. Before I go, an enormous shout out to you, the listener, for lending me and us your ears, your heart, and your energy during some tough, tough conversations. My name again is Kondwani Mwase. Here's hoping you find yourself in every play. Remember, it's been fierce and it has only just begun. In the next few weeks, some more uplifting conversations from artists, entrepreneurs, and creatives at large. I look forward to speaking with you. Until then.